Breaker. If you haven't already, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend today. Since we're in the midst of the pandemic, I decided we'll change things up a bit today and cover something a little different. No homicide or missing persons today. We'll be covering the stolen crown jewels of King Kalaukawa. This one takes place after the king's passing and just after the overthrow of the monarchy in Hawaii. With that said, on with the show. Three months after the monarchy was overthrown on 3 April 1893, the keys of Iolani Palace were transferred from the Chamberlain James Robertson to the Provisional Government's new custodian, R.J. Green. The two conducted an inventory and noticed that in the Chamberlain's locked base basement office, a leather trunk had been broken open. Inside the trunk, a satin-lined box of polished embroya, embroina wood was King David Kalaukawa's crown, bent and twisted. Every jewel had been pried out. The velvet lining had been torn away and the Maltese cross on the top with its stunning six-carat diamond had been broken off and taken. The ring kalo leaves along the ba band was bent and some of its gold filigree was missing. If you'd like to see what the damaged crown looked like, they had photographed it. I have a digitalized picture of it. Um, I will post it on the socials and on the website if you guys would like to see it. Inside, uh, designed by the king and purchased in London in 1882 for £1,000 from Hofnung and Co. Sorry, I think I literally slaughtered that name. The solid gold crown of Kalakawa and his queen, Kapiolani, contained when they were new 521 diamonds 54 pearls 20 opals 20 rubies 8 emeralds 1 carbuckle and 6 kukui nut jewels Kapiolani's crown was safe she had taken it home following Kalaukawa's death in 1891 kukui nuts is uh hard brown nut and they're pol sometimes they're polished and they um and the locals here in Hawaii string them up and use them as lays and they're polished as well so they have this uh, gleam to it sometimes you'll see locals wearing them as lays 
Detective William Lawson set out in search of the robber. Being recently made chief of detectives, he took charge of the case. Weeks passed with no announcement as to progress in the case. Everyone had had, had, had a theory, of course. Attorney General William o Owen Smith wrote to Lauren Thurston on April 8th. Dern Crown was broken into pieces. Some things point to someone acting in the interests, interests of Mrs. Dominus. The anti-royalists no longer refer to the ex-queen and widow of John Dominus as Lilio Colony. Uh, as, a, as a segue to that, Lauren Thurston, the wife of um, Thurston, Mr. Thurston, was the head of her husband, actually headed up the overthrow of the monarchy in Hawaii, but that's for a different podcast, or show actually. If you'd like me to cover it, uh, send me an email at info at thedarkersidepodcast.com and let me know. I'll be happy to cover it. On April 19th, it was reported that several men were seen, cover were seen carrying a bundle near the barracks behind the palace. They were shot and at and disappeared by the police. A search produced nothing. At the end of April, some workers were cleaning out the palace basement. On the ground were found a few worthless stones, perhaps the polished kukui nuts, some filigree work, which had broken from the crown. The items were turned over to the police. Working on the case, Larson first got the names of half a dozen guards who were on duty the weekend of the robbery. He began interviewing them. One of the guards, a 25-year-old corporal named George Ryan, gave evasive answers. Ryan had been arrested for carrying a concealed weapon in January and had Order, had been ordered out of, the, out of the islands, excuse me. Instead, he had joined the reorganized Hawaii Guard. On May 10, he had been court-martialed for dereliction of duty and discharged from the Guards weeks earlier. Larson had no evidence against Ryan, but interviewed a guard who claimed to have purchased an unmounted diamond from Ryan. On June 13, Larson searched Ryan's room in the White House Hotel on Nu'uwanu Avenue. In a wardrobe hung a vest, and in one of the pockets, Larson found a small pa package wrapped in tissue paper containing a dozen small di diamonds. Henry Richman, a 4th Street jeweler, valued the stones at $2,500. Uh, let's take a short break here.
And we're back. Larson searched Honolulu all day for Ryan, finally meeting up with him at 2100 hours near the commercial saloon on Nu'uanu. As a side note, many of these buildings I'm mentioning are still standing today on that street. Larson invited him in for a drink and promptly informed him he was under arrest. It was June 13th. The police daybook read, George Ryan, larceny of crown jewels valued at 2500 Searching him, Larson found another diamond in Ryan's pants pocket. Ryan was booked, photographed, and given the inmate number of 996. But that didn't solve the case. Had Ryan acted alone? What happened to the rest of the gems? Only a handful of the smallest diamonds had been found in Ryan's vest. Here things get tangled and a whole cast of, the, of Honolulu characters enters the scene. One of them was Ryan's fellow guardsman, Richard Stone. A month after the theft of the crown jewels was discovered, Stone was arraigned in Judge Henry Cooper's First Circuit Court for shooting a policeman in an earlier brawl at the Pantheon Saloon on Hotel Street. Also appearing before Cooper that day was a Chinese merchant named Ah Fook, charged with gambling. Stone escaped at 10. A few nights later, was pounding at Ah Fook's door in the company of another man. They asked for opium. Ah Fook, suspicious, Instead, he didn't allow opium smoking, insisted he didn't allow opium smoking at his place of business. They then tried to sell him two diamonds. Afuk declined, insisting he had no money. Stone and his unnamed companion persevered, going to a saloon and offering the diamonds to yet another Chinese man, Kunan An. Who, who led them to a third man, the pawnbroker, Lo Chit Sam, at his house on Kikaoliki Street. Okay, I slaughtered that. There, Stone's companion, going by the name of Jack Duarte, offered to sell the diamonds to pay for Stone's lawyer. The pawnbroker turned him down, saying the gems might be stolen. No duh. Duarte then threatened him if he ever went to the th police. Larson uncovered all this, but it was never proved that Duarte was, in fact, Ryan. Ryan did use multiple aliases. On June 16, 
It was discovered that Ryan served a sentence in an Oregon penitentiary and another in another at Oahu Prison in 1887. Under the name Jack McVeigh, Ryan would admit nothing. He later said his name was actually Preston Horner. Honolulu police recently begun using the Burlton system of photographing criminals and noting their height, weight, and physical characteristics. They had on record of Ryan, Ryan alias Juno McVeigh, alias Preston Horner. Ryan's case was continue, continually postponed perhaps in hopes more jewels would be discovered. On June 28, Larson discovered one of the larger jewels at the barracks. Postponements continued until August as Larson contacted witnesses. Although he interviewed Lo Chit Sam, Kun On, and Ah Fook, Stone was the only one they could identify by name. A third man who tried to fence the jewels was identified as another guardsman, William Wagner. The cast kept expanding to include several men who were not members of the guard. Charles Nelson, Robert Levi and John Santos and a partridge in a pear tree. A look at the city directories of the period revealed that they were drivers for local carriage companies. Larson seems to have theorized that the thieves had established an ingenious fencing, ingenious fencing system. They recruited from carriage they recruited from carriage stables the hack drivers who picked up numerous travelers from the wharf and nearby hotels. Nelson and Levi of the fashion stables on Union Street and Santos of the Hustis Drain Company on Queen Street had offered opals, emeralds, and pearls to the many fairs that they carried throughout the city. Even horseman Charles Stiltoe of the Tower fire Firehouse next door to the fashion stables was enlisted. Then something inescapable happened. Inexplicable happened. Ryan's charge was reduced to second-degree larceny, larceny. He was held at Oahu Prison for trial in August. As the prison was then situation, situated situation on the beachfront in Ivole, the jail was referred to as the Reef. This prison would then be later on in history, would then be relocated to Kalihi, a renamed to Oahu Community Correctional Facility. 
and we would call it old triple C. As we know it today. Before he went to trial, he donned a black suit, blackened his face and hands with suit, climbed a trellis at the wall of the prison and escaped as far as the slaughterhouse and cattle pen area at the end of Evolet. There he found a telephone and called for a carriage. Unfortunately for him, he was met instead by police captain Robert Parker, who arrested him at 2100 hours. Ryan remarked, I am out of luck. Really? Finally on the trial late in late August, Ryan, having been through the system before, defended himself in Judge William Austin Whitting's First Circuit Court. It was reported that the penalty prescribed for larceny in the second degree is a, is a fine double the amount stolen and confinement in prison for a prison not to exceed five years. By law, he would have to pay $5,000 in restitution. Smith called to testify Palace Chamberlain Robertson, Lieutenant Colonel Joseph Henry Fisher of the Hawaii National Guard, former Chamberlain George McFarland, and William Wagner, the Hawaii Guardsman who avoided prosecution by turning state's evidence. Smith then introduced into evidence several diamonds that had been in possession of Richard Stone and another guardsman, Carl Wishard, who had been involved in the Pantheon Saloon Brawl, who had been found in position, possession of one of the jewels. Smith then called Larson to testify as to how he had discovered the, the stones on Ryan and Wishard. Smith then called J.E. Gomes, watchmaker and jeweler, who testified that he had been given the, the diamonds to set into rings. Smith then rested the prosecution's case. The Chinese merchants were never called. Ryan, in his own defense, called Major George McLeod of the guard and a man called K. Hins to try and establish an alibi. He himself then testified that he was innocent. He rested his case at 3.40 in the afternoon and spoke for two minutes summing his case. Smith recounted his evidence for the next eight minutes how Hawaii guards Ryan, Richard, Stone, and Wagner had stolen the crown jewels on April 2nd, then had the hack dri drivers fence the gems to fairs throughout Honolulu. It is said in Hawaii history books that the guards had rolled the dice in a game of 
7-11 for the Jams. Whitting then gave instructions to the jury, and at 15.53, the jury recessed to deliberate. They returned eight minutes later with the verdict of guilty of larceny in the second degree. It came as no surprise that Ryan was convicted on the charge, but the punishment was unexpectedly light. He was sentenced the following day to only three years of prison and a fine of $200. While Ryan was on trial, his companion in the crime, Stone, was ensconced in a Hilo jail. Back in May, Stone had finally been brought to trial for the shooting of the policeman, John Kailikoole, the Pantheons at the Pantheon Saloon. Convicted of assault with a deadly weapon, he was sentenced to six months on the reef. Eleven days later, he was put on a work detail on Baratania Street and escaped. He sold some of the stones via the hack drivers and some in Chinatown. Then he sailed on the Amelia to Hilo to see his girlfriend. Two weeks after Ryan's August conviction, Stone was captured in Hilo on September 5th and arraigned in Honolulu on September 11th. His trial took place on October 4th. Judge Alfred Steadman Hartwell had defended him in court by attorney Volney Volencourt Ashford. Wow, that's a mouthful. Stone convicted him, convicted and sentenced him to six months at hard labor and court costs of $1.30 for the escape. Okay, uh, $1.30 was worth a lot more back then. For the assault, he was sentenced to a fine and court costs of $218.50 or four $437 days in jail if not paid. Remarkably, he was never charged in the jewel theft of the crown jewels. Not for lack of trying on the police's part. Larson had built a case against him. He'd called Lo Chit Sam Kuon On a Fook to the police station to give formal statements and turn over the evidence to the Attorney General Smith. Nothing ever came of it. Stone's October. October trial only dealt with the shooting of the policeman and later escaped, not with the palace robbery. How Judge Hartwell kept Stone out of the Crown Jewel case is a mystery. He was mentioned in witness statements, identified as trying to fence the diamonds, cited as such in Ryan's trial, and even named in the newspapers as a suspect to the theft. But after his release from Oahu prison in 1894, he, dis he disappeared forever from the islands. 
Hartwell eventually became Justice of the Supreme Hawaii Supreme Court. Prison officials intercepted a letter to Ryan in prison from his sister Helen in Missouri thanking him for the jewel. Ryan had apparently mailed the six-carat diamond from the top of the crown to Helen. Smith, working with the Missouri Attorney General, General eventually got it returned. It's disappeared since then. No one knows what happened to the crown gems. Of course, some of the diamonds, pearls, opals, rubies, and emeralds left the islands in the pockets of travelers who brought them, no questions asked, from, from the Honolulu hack drivers. They were probably set in rings for far-off weddings kept as keepsakes or displayed in pawn shops around the country. Of the recovered gems, only a handful of the tiniest dry diamonds, those found in Ryan's jet vest, were turned over to the government. They're now kept in the Hawaii State Archives. Into whose pockets did all the recovered gems, including the six-carat diamond, disappear into? The guardsmen cannot have been the only larcenous officials in the case. Ryan served a total of five years. On December 31, 1898, he was pardoned. Ryan enlisted in the U.S. Army and was sent to the Philippines. Americans had fought a bloody battle in and around Malolos, Luzon, and captured it on March 1, 1899. Ryan was found dead on April 8, 1899. Lashed to a raft on Pampanaga River near Mololos, Ryan was found. His skull had been crushed in and his arms cut off at the elbows. News of his death flashed to Honolulu and to New York. And on May 30th, 1899, his obituary appeared throughout the country. It read, quote, The murder of the man who stole the crown jewels. Unquote. On January 9, 1925, the remains of Kalakaua's crown were examined at the public archives by its commissioners. Librarian Albert Pierce Taylor. Judge Alexander Robertson and former Provisional Government President Stanford Dole. They recommended that it be reconstructed. The Territorial Legislature approved $350 to have it restored. On May 21st, they were sent to the Honolulu Jewels, Jewelers, Wall and Doherty. The missing gems were replaced with cat's eyes and rhinestones. The filigree Maltese cross and claret velvet lining reattached. The gold fillet and taro leaves straightened. The work was completed on October, October 1st. 
and exhibited in a jeweler's window on Bishop Street. Then the crown was placed in a cardboard box and returned to the storage in the archives where it sat for 65 years. It was exhibited once in 1948. On December 7, 1990, the crown was returned to the newly restored Iolani Palace, reunited with Kapiolani's crown, until this past December was on display in the very basement where it was where it was plundered. An interesting case to say the least. Most of the original jewels lost the time. The only perpetrator to be punished for stealing gems and damaging a priceless artifact gets a light sentence and the other gets no punishment whatsoever. I'll put a picture of the crown that was restored up on the social and the website if you're curious to see what it looks like. There is a uh, group that wants to actually restore the crown back to its original state and they're actually fundraising trying to get money together. I doubt they'll ever get enough money together to put all the jewels back. I'm assuming it's gonna take mm, millions to do it in today's money. Uh, next week I'll have a more traditional case for you I just thought that this case was an interesting part of Hawaii's history and to take a little break from the, the, the doom and gloom of the usual cases that we had with that said this brings this episode to a, clo- a close. Thank you for listening and subscribing to my podcast. I appreciate you all. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast and tell a friend about this podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any comments or suge- suggestions for cases, Please feel free to email info at darkersidepodcast.com. I'm on Twitter as DarkersidePod. Mahalo, and see you next time on The Darker Side.